At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever time it is by you, welcome to Line Drive Radio. It is Friday, April 29th, and another week of Major League Baseball is in the books, and another weekend is on tap. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here on Long Island, the great state of New York, and it's time to bring in my LDR teammate from the great city of Chicago, Mr. Ted Bamford. Ted, always ask you, what's going down in Chi-Town? Oh, well, uh, we have entered full-blown, can't-get-away-from-the-diamond travel baseball season, and my five-year-old's playing t-ball, and my 15-year-old's umpiring, so... I'm pretty much living at 450 to 470 a gallon driving to and from baseball. Ooh. Thus is life, man. Ouch. But it's it's all worth loving it. The, loving the grind. It's all worth it. All worth it. Yeah, my uh, my little guy's fighting Orioles. First defeat last night. In the oh, cold. No. The April cold. I don't get this, but uh, this, this, this thing's got a break here, this weather thing. But, uh, you know, all of us here in the States really shouldn't complain about a damn thing. But anyway. In the world of baseball, the little guy standing out in the field. It's a little cold out there, but they got both down in reality there. It's a two-game winning streak, so they'll get back at it next Tuesday. So, See, this th- See, this is where, uh, as a parent, uh, you throw a little something extra in your coffee on the sidelines and convince your kids that it's character building. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff, though. Um, love being out in the field again with the kids, and it's, it's just uh, it's great. Love the game, and love doing this with you, pal. How's... Uh, Everything going since last we spoke. Uh, some teams are turning it on. Some teams are turning it off. And some teams are just kind of, you know, riding along the same way. Where do you want to start today, man, with as far as uh, MLB headlines? Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's there's so much going on. And everything. nothing makes sense and everything makes sense all at the same time. Um, I, I, I think the big one for me... Uh, there were a couple things in Atlanta that caught my eye last night. Uh, obviously, the big one, uh, Cubs playing the, the defending World Series champion, Bravos. Uh, Ronald Acuna, back from his ACL injury, back in the lineup, uh, posted a one for five last night. Okay, so he's getting back, you know, had a little bit of run in the minors to get back up to speed, but some people were asking if it's too soon. Some people were asking 
you know, how are his legs going to look? The one for five, I don't think that's not a deal breaker. Obviously, this guy's a superstar. He's probably one of the three to five best players on the planet right now. Uh, what impressed me was he stole two bases in the game. Uh, so obviously he feels pretty confident that the legs are there. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Braves work him back into the lineup. Are we going to see some DH from Ronald Acuna to kind of save his legs every once in a while, but make sure that the bat's out there, or is he going to go full bore outfield, leadoff man, the whole thing? So it'll be interesting to see how they do that. The good news is uh, because they anticipated him not being 100%, they do have some outfield depth. They need Duvall to hit the ball at some point, as does my fantasy team. Um, but I think Acuna is going to be good. Uh, the two stolen bases, he looked great. So that was good. The other thing that was kind of cool to see, I don't know if you saw this, Paul, but the uh, before every game, usually someone on the coaching staff will go out and they still, like Little League, one of the cool traditions in baseball, representative from each team formally submits the lineup cards to the umpires. Yeah. And last night, the Chicago Cubs sent uh, catcher Wilson Contreras out with the lineup card. The Braves sent recently recalled due to injury uh, necessity uh, one of their higher-level catching prospects who got some run with them last year uh, and is back with the big club, William Contreras out with the lineup card. Uh, so you had two brothers meeting each other from what was reported on Twitter last night. Uh, it's the first time that they played against each other. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did see it, man. It was, it was at a the great big, moment. At the, and, you know, they came out and gave the lineup cards, and Wilson shook hands with each one of the umpires and then gave his brother a big hug, and they talked for a second while they were embraced. And you could see that Wilson was clearly wiping away tears as the umpires were giving them the spiel about ground rules and everything else. And then video popped up later last night uh, of the two guys as fans were emptying the ballpark and they were cleaning off the field. The two of them still just standing out on the field talking. Yeah, very cool. And that that's just, that's just pretty cool. Like, you and I talk about our kids and watching them play and the relationships that they develop with kids that they play with and friends and teammates. Um but you don't see siblings get to the bigs very often when they get a chance to play with or against each other. It's pretty cool. I remember there was a baseball card back in the day of Cal and Billy Ripken with their dad when Cal Sr. was managing the Orioles, which is ridiculous that a dad managed two of his boys. Um, but it, it was, you know, it was pretty cool to see the two brothers uh, hugging it out and getting pretty emotional about playing against each other for the first time. Wilson talked you know, about how hard they've worked to get there and the climb that they've had and the sacrifices that they've made for each other and their family has made for them to get there. And obviously coming out of Venezuela, there's a lot going on in Venezuela right now. So lots of context to that hug. But uh, it was it was pretty cool to see last night. Yeah, and it's pretty neat to see it in, uh, in baseball. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of weird. Like, you know, me and you are both hockey guys as well, too. You know, there's a lot of brother... Brothers that play in the NHL together, you know, you could take uh, as far as famously like the Sutter brothers, uh, even the Sedin twins. Um, you you know the Strom brothers as well too, and Dylan and Ryan, Ryan uh, in New York, and Dylan in Chicago, and everything else. Uh, yeah, you don't see it too much in, in baseball, and 
I don't think uh, I hear too much of it really too much in NBA and in and the NFL, but definitely in hockey. But uh, there's a lot of father son stuff that you always see very prevalent in baseball, um, you know, throughout its history. But uh, yeah, I mean, looks just a great moment. But it's it's kind of weird you don't see too many brothers playing baseball together or something. At least not getting a special moment like that. At least you know, because and is that well, maybe? I, I mean, the uh, I wonder, Tab, and I know we're going to get into it later too, um, as far as drafts and leagues, but the paths that maybe brothers have to take in baseball, maybe just a different kind of a sport route than say in hockey or in the other sports. Yeah, I mean, look, the, in. Hockey is the only other major league that has like a true minor league system. There's the G League or whatever it's called now for the NBA, which is a quasi minor league system. Um, But realistically, college is still the feeder system for the NBA. The NFL draft is going on right now and you see family stories being told. It's great. Every once in a while you see siblings or cousins that will pop up. Uh, You know, last night you saw – Aiden Hutchinson go stay home with Detroit and his dad obviously was a great player at the University of Michigan as well. So you see those fun stories, but baseball is such a longer path. You know, guys will get drafted or signed as teenagers and they won't it'll take them four to six years to get to the majors. Wow. And even crazy. then, it's a crapshoot if you're even gonna get there. You can sign, you can get drafted in the first round and never make it. And so the idea that these two brothers who have a, an age gap between them, but they've both worked hard and gotten to a place where they're both in the major leagues now, to, and they were able to sit across the diamond from each other. It's pretty freaking cool. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, every professional sport, every once in a while you'll see a family name that you recognize or sometimes a, a name that you don't recognize and find out that they're related. But um, but it, it was pretty cool to see that before and then after the game uh, on social media and the broadcast last night because – uh, it was clearly something that meant the world to both of them. Uh, and you know that it means a lot when you see the emotions. Uh, but I don't think us, having been born and raised here in the United States, can really fathom what the path is to go from Venezuela and the situation that's going on there and what the politics have been in the economic situation down there over the last 10, 15 years to work that hard to get yourself in a position where you get noticed and get signed and then keep working until you get to the major leagues. So um, totally different circumstances for somebody from Central Latin America, the Caribbean, or anywhere else in the world than what we've got in the U.S. or even Canada for that matter. So seeing how much it meant to them was, uh, was really a cool thing. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, one of the uncool things that happened uh, the last couple of days. Last week, Tam, you called them right. The fight in Buck Showalter's, buddy. Out in St. Louis. Meet the Mets, baby. Meet their fists. Meet their high-rising fastballs. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, some, uh, some, some uh, infielders and outfielders catch ground balls. They catch fly balls. St. Louis, uh, the Mets and Cardinals were catching these hands. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it was a contentious series in St. Louis. Um, you had guys chirping back and forth pretty much from the get-go. Um, you know, Chris Bassett came out. He's one of the many pitchers that has 
complained about the quality of the baseball uh, that pitcher. You've heard a number of pitchers now talk about the feel of the baseball is different. No one's happy about the baseball. It's not flying as far. Uh, Chris Bassett of the Mets came out and complained pretty strongly about the baseball. He said everybody hates it. Nobody wants to use it. And Miles Michaelis uh, on the other side with St. Louis said, suck it up and do your job, which is kind of hilarious because the Cardinals <laughs> complained about as much as anybody about not getting a fair shake. Anyway, um, so lots of talking back and forth, lots of complaining back and forth about guys getting plunked. Uh, you know, we've seen this a few other times. The, the Cubs and the Brewers have had issues in the past. Uh, last year, the White Sox had issues with pretty much everybody because they just kept getting drilled. But you, you've got a situation where uh, the Cardinals hit a number of Mets batters, and the words were flying. And uh, Henesis Cabrera decided to go up and in on Nolan Arenado. Uh, if you go back and look at a freeze frame of where the pitch actually was, it wasn't as far inside as Arenado may have made it look like it was. But with the context of guys getting drilled and clear intent from Cabrera to go up and in and make a statement, Arenado wasn't feeling it, said a few things, pitcher said a few things back, catcher shared a few thoughts, maybe recipes, uh, maybe an invitation for (laughs) s'mores later that night. And all of a sudden, you've got the benches clearing. You know, there's video of, I think it was... uh, uh, Giovanni Gallegos jumping the fence out of the bullpen. Uh, they looked ridiculous. Which, of ridiculous. course, is hilarious that he jumped the fence and sprinted onto the field when they lost a game in that series because he couldn't sprint to first base <laughs> and cover. And that led to a huge rally for the Mets in the ninth <laughs> inning. Um, that's a, a fun aside. But uh, so the aftermath of this, uh, Arenado got suspended for two games. Cabrera got one. They were both fined. An undisclosed amount. That'll go to the charity of Rob Manfred's choice. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, it's just it's another one of those things where, you know, I think guys get uptight about how and where they're being pitched. And, look, if you, if you have in a series, if a number of guys get drilled, it's it's going to be frustrating, right? If you have a history of guys drilling batters on your team, like the Cubs and Brewers, the Brewers have hit more Cubs than any team has hit a, another team specifically over the last two years, and it's by a pretty wide margin. I think Wilson Contreras alone has been hit 10 times in a year and a half by Brewers pitchers. So um, so when you have a situation where guys are getting regularly plunked, obviously it raises the bar a little bit. And look, the Cardinals and Mets are both are, are both playing with pretty elevated expectations right now. So these games matter, even though it's April. The, you know, they're, you're getting their A game on both sides, and Arenado's always been a guy that's got no problem uh, standing up for a teammate or leading by example. And in this case, he decided to lead uh, fists first. Uh, and he's going to get a couple games to think about his actions. You know, I think both will obviously appeal. Um, I'm not sure if baseball is going to necessarily care about that appeal. Um, because baseball has been pretty adamant that they don't want this stuff happening, not because fighting's bad, but because with the ongoing concerns about guys staying healthy, specifically COVID-related, they don't want to have the group hugs and the kumbayas on the field. Uh, it's, it's a joke. So, so here we are. Uh, Arenado, two-game suspension. 
Cabrera one game, both of them wrote a check to the commissioner's office and on we go. But you know, that's something that is interesting because it, again, it's April. They'll probably see each other again. And if you're a believer in what the prognosticators say, these two could see each other in the postseason as well. And if you've got this as a context going into a seven-game series in the playoffs, that makes for much better television, my friend. Yeah, well, I just it, you know when you look when you watch the highlights and stuff, it looks it just looks so bad. It looks these grown men charging at each other, and basically then to form a rugby circle, you know, by the mound, you know, and it's just well, and, and of, it, you know what you know. But and this, every every athlete wants to get in the mix, but everybody's like. Hold me back. Hold me back. Like, I know. Not, it's And this whole thing, not, too, no, Tim, no really about goes. the – I want to get your thoughts, too, on the other crap that's going on. Is like teams getting upset, you know, when they're down 10 runs and the other team is still trying to play the game. You know? This this whole new thing now, too, like, oh, a guy bunts or a guy takes a – you know, hits a base or he steals a base when they're up nine runs or something, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning or whatever. I mean, get over that as well, too. I mean – where where's the line drawn between the fact that yeah it's a team game primarily but this there's an indiv- individual part of baseball too I think it's the individual part of baseball is probably bigger than any other sport as far as positions as far as guys contracts in terms of their batting averages and their at bats and their percentage on base and stuff like that what just because I got a you know our team has an eight nine run lead I'm not going to get up here and not try and hit a home run or try and get a base hit or you know uh, steal a base or you know, play to my fullest potential. I mean, where do you where do you stand on that? Because that to me is a bunch of BS too. A grown ass men here getting upset. Oh, you're getting more runs on us. Cut it out. I mean, that's what run rule leagues are, and for little league, it's 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 for it's for kids. It's for children. Grown men here. I mean, the, what the Cubs put up a 21 spot there last week against Pittsburgh. I don't think there was a brawl in that game at all. Yeah. Well, first of all, no Chicago team scored 21 on a team from Pittsburgh in about 30 years in any sport. So that's uh, so that was nice to see. Um, the fact that a Chicago team put three touchdowns on the board was a consoling thing for me, uh, very therapeutic. No, I mean, look, so obviously I coach this, my son's travel team, and we talk about this stuff with the kids. It's different at the professional level, and you're right. These players are being incented in many ways uh, via production. Their next contract is going to be based on numbers. And so in no way, shape, or form would I ever advocate for a team to go up there and take three strikes and sit down. If you're up three touchdowns, you're not going to put the bat on your shoulder and stop trying. However, we saw a situation where words were exchanged when a young guy uh, on the Giants laid down a bunt with his team up by, I think it was nine or ten runs. And the manager had words with him in the dugout. The other team complained pretty openly. Uh, but Kapler came to the defense of the young guy and said, look, we're going to keep playing the game. I'm not a huge fan of laying down a bunt in that situation because the other team is playing more of a prevent defense, if you will. They're not, they're not going to – you're down 10 runs. You're trying to get out of there. I think you know, knowing that they're going to shift a little bit, but they're going to play back expecting you to swing away. Uh, bunting, it, it's a little cheap. Um, the idea of like pimping a home run or a slam dunk when you're getting your tail kicked, not a fan of that either. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna hit a home run off a position player pitching and and pimp it, I think that's kind of up to you. 
maybe you got a relationship with the guy in the mound. You know, the joke in Chicago now is David Ross, the manager of the Cubs, his first home run came off of Mark Grace, who was <laughs> pitching in a blowout loss. Um, so, uh, you know, stealing bases when you're up by a, a big fat margin, I don't think you really need to at that point. There are lots of other opportunities to steal a base. Like I said, if the other team is playing back, I think you get to a point where you swing the you swing the bat hard, you take the extra base, um, you go first to third, you score from second. But I don't know if you necessarily steal a base if they're not going to defend it. Um, it's kind of a, it's one of those unwritten rules that I actually do subscribe to. But I'll throw this out there, Paul, and it's unconventional. But look, we're at a place now where conventional baseball doesn't mean a damn thing. The commissioner's got a clock on pitchers. Pitchers aren't batting anymore. Uh, you've got expanded rosters to protect the health of the pitchers, which I'm in favor of. But a lot of the conventional historic ways that the game has been played and rosters have been managed is out the window. If you, I think we've reached a point that uh, if a team is, uh, each team should be granted a certain number, let's call it five, maybe once a month, of white flags per season. Where if you are down by 10 runs in the eighth inning, you can say, you know what, we're good here, we're done. And walk it up. Because, look, position players get hurt pitching. Clearly, major league managers don't want to waste arms if they're getting their butt kicked. And frankly, Paul, major league managers don't want to waste pitching if they're up 10 runs. That's not fair to the folks who like to turn their hats backwards for the rally caps, brother. That's not fair. you know what, it's not, but I think you're not turning your hat around hoping for a 10-run rally if you've got the backup catcher throwing 57-mile-an-hour cases. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm at the point now where we are so conscious of protecting arms and keeping guys healthy on the field that I think both sides, if you've got a 10-run lead after seven innings, if the losing team says, you know what, we're good, tip your cap, we're out of here, I'm I'm in favor of a slaughter rule in Major League Baseball at this point. And look, I know that there are going to be contractual obligations for TV commercials and all that other crap that you know your local rights holders and national rights holders are going to have a problem with. But and you know what? it's awesome. It, it is so fun to watch those guys go out there and throw crap. You know, Anthony Rizzo still has a perfect ERA for what it's worth, so he may be the best closer on the Yankees at this point. Um, but it's fun to watch position players pitch, but you don't want anybody to get hurt. And you're opening up an opportunity where the other team is going to take bad swings because they're trying. It turns into 12 inch softball. You got guys throw, you know, last year on the show, we joked about Williams Estadio coming in and throwing 50 mile an hour, you know, curveballs at guys mm-hmm. and guys you, you just, teeing him up and hitting like 800 mile straight up pop-ups off of the guy. Guys are going to get hurt. It, it turns into 12 inch softball. And I think that it's demeaning to the game. And I think we're so conscious of guys health. I'm actually okay. If you give each team five white flags per season, if you're down 10 run, let's call it a 10 run slaughter rule. If you're down double digits after seven innings, if you want to tip your cap and call it a day, you can. I'd be in favor of that because I, 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 you're just – even the team that's – I've heard conversations on like MLB Network Radio 
and MLB Network and other you know sports radio shows about the reality that you're going to get to a point where teams that are winning by 10, 15 runs are going to put position players in the pitch just to save arms. Yeah. Because you don't want to waste the bullets if you're running away with it either. Like if you're the Cubs and you're up 21, what the hell are you putting a bullpen guy out there for and wasting bullets and then not be able to bring him back the next day when you might need him? Well, I mean, geez, you can you could really go down a rabbit hole here too. It all depends on what time of the year it is, you know. As far as you know, if it's it's early in the season, you might want to get those guys, you know, in the rotation you, to get right, the arms right. going. And, and guys, if it's guys the cold might want to get some work, but I think you'd rather have a guy working in a higher leverage situation than come in and throw five ground balls and call it a, call it a weekend. Like it, it, if it's a non-competitive situation, you're throwing for the sake of getting in a pitches you're not competing yeah no i, I get of course, it I of, mean, of course people will say you should always be competing but let's be real well there you if go the guy, if everybody stepping in the box is going to swing at the first pitch and you know they're going to swing out of their shoes so you're going to literally throw six breaking balls to get three ground balls and called in the afternoon what good does that work well then then, then here we get back we swing back to the traditionalist conversation just play the game the way it's supposed to be played you know, just play it, you know, you, you got three outs, you know, if you're up 10, 15, 21s or whatever the heck it is, play the string out. And then, like I said, this this back and forth and everybody's got a great take on it and stuff uh, as far as ideas and implement, implementations of how to, you know, either speed the game up, slow it down. I think the white flag thing is a great idea. Um, you'll just have to email uh, Rob Manfred at uh, MLB.com and see what I he might says. Have, my email address might already be flagged. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I he, I have thoughts. No, but yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. But yeah, I I think we've gotten to the point that we're so aware of and conscious of guys getting hurt. And look, a fly ball in the outfield, all you need is somebody pulling a hamstring for no good reason at all, chasing a fly ball when you're up twelve runs, and then everybody's complaining. And speaking, well, of what the hell is he even doing out there? And speaking of complaining, Tab. I believe there's some complaining about the baseball, the actual baseball that they're using yeah. today. Yeah, and, and again, this is one of the reasons that my emails flagged with Rob Manfred. Um, <laughs> we keep changing the physical ball. You know, maybe you know the ball started to change because we were too cheap to pay for good baseballs. Maybe the ball started to change because we're wasting so many on fall balls that we're, we need – more baseballs than we used in the past. But over the last four years or so, you've seen Major League Baseball say there's nothing different about the baseball. And then the next year say, well, we're going to doctor up the baseball so it doesn't fly as far, which is an acknowledgement that it was flying too far in the first place mm-hmm. and that you had to get in the, involved in quality control for the first time. And now every stadium's got a humidor. Uh, the ball's not flying as far. Um, you know, guys have got uh, prescribed stuff that they can use to scuff the balls up to get a better grip because we won't let them use the sticky stuff. And it, I think Chris Bassett's right. Like, with all due respect to Miles Michaelis, um, who's been hurt and had issues with the ball since they changed balls. So let's just be real on that uh, element. You know, lots of guys are complaining about the physical baseball. You have, I, I think I heard on the radio, that the magic number for a home run is basically per stat cast 
like 96 mile an hour exit velocity and plus 20 between 20 and 40 degrees on the launch angle. If you achieve those two, it's like a 90% home run rate historically. And this year it's like an 82% home run rate. It gets way down. And you're there, there are Twitter accounts that'll go through and track stuff. And you see like exit velocity, 102.5 launch angle, 32 degrees, 402 foot flyout. And you've got openly frustrated hitters that the ball's not carrying. Anthony Rizzo's fine. But uh, there are other guys that sure are complaining. It you know, bombs away. But there are guys complaining about the ball not traveling as far. And then you got pitchers complaining about the feel. And this just goes back to stop screwing with stuff and just leave it alone. And what's and the story now? MLB owns the company now that makes the balls? They, they don't want to say that they're involved in it, but they are. I mean, you, and frankly, at the highest level, you should be involved in quality control of the ball that you get. Like, you should trust that you're, you should contractually, you, if you're putting all of your faith in one person to make your baseballs, you should believe that the quality is there, but you should still be t- looking at it. You should still be touching it and feeling it and making sure that what you're getting out of the box is right. And if you open a box and one of the balls isn't good, pitch it or not literally pitch it, throw it out. Um, uh, you know, use it for batting practice. I don't care. Donate it to a local little league. But the fact that Major League Baseball has deceptively said that they're not screwing with the baseballs and nothing is different to then acknowledging that they need to get back involved with quality control, which is an admission that the ball wasn't right in the first place, to having balls flying out of the yard at a record pace, to having balls not leaving the yard at a noticeable rate. Just stop screwing with the physical baseball. Like we keep we keep work we keep spending time and effort on stuff that isn't the actual game on the field and it affects the game on the field and it's not in a good way. Just leave this crap alone. But you know, we keep screwing with it, and I'm sure that they'll probably take the balls out of the humidor in May when the weather gets nice and warm so that the ball starts flying again because enough people will complain that they'll back away from it. But it, it's a pretty consistent rallying cry from both batters and pitchers that the baseball isn't right right now. The physical baseball isn't what it should be. And it's, and it's to a detriment of both pitchers and batters. And, and are these so, complaints primarily coming out of Cincinnati? No. All <laughs> over the place. I mean, the, Oriole, uh, the Orioles The Orioles have a lot to complain about in their own, um, though they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, just like the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, I mean Cincinnati three and sixteen. They got plenty to worry about. Um, I mean they're five big, five games back of the Pirates, so eh, not not a good look. So but, you know, I think with it, this conversation, I think maybe it'll be interesting to see as the rest of the season goes. And hell, maybe you know towards the end of the season, you know, if 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 more of these complaints come out, and to see if it's more of a an excuse than it is an actual real complaint. Well, I think I think you, the reason Michael has clapped back at Chris Bassett was because there is a perception by many that this is an excuse. But I think when enough where there's enough smoke, there has to be fire. Okay. And enough people are complaining about the physical baseball. And look, and this is this is the problem that you start getting into, pun intended, because there's no sticky stuff about the friction between the players and the front office. 
is that the commissioner's office last year in the middle of the season made a change to the fundamental way that players play their position. They said, you can't use sticky stuff anymore. We can argue about whether or not they should have used this sticky stuff in the first place. It wasn't illegal. So they let them do it. They did it to varying degrees. And then Manfred said in the middle of the season, this, this can't work. We can't do this. And you saw a lot of people, including Garrett Cole struggle when they took anything away. And then you've got guys like Scherzer complaining about the idea that they're basically getting strip searched by TSA walking off the mound. They're checking the inside of their belt buckle. They're checking their cup. They're checking their hat. They're checking their glove, their wrist, their armpits. And we joked about it last year. This is nothing new. The movie Major League is 30 years old, and the dude had Vaseline on one armpit and Vagisil on his chest hair and everything else. <laughs> and he admit like, this is nothing new in baseball. It was a joke in the movie Major League 30 years ago, but now we're going to start putting rules in place in the middle of the season. And now you're talking about they changed the baseballs at the beginning of the season, and guys are struggling to adjust. And you know what? Maybe the feel of the baseball is different because it's coming out of a humidor and so many northern cities are cold, which goes back to another bitch and moan session for me about the fact that, you know, why are cold-weather teams hosting warm-weather teams in April? Why can't Chicago be in Texas and Detroit be in Florida? Oh, you are, you are York, asking Arizona way and Anaheim. too much. Like, if You're you asking way to too play, much, Mr. Bamford. Common sense, and that's why my email's flagged by Rob Manfred. So many soapboxes today. Uh, we are really going to get – this is uh, – this. Line Drive Radio this week is tangent central, uh, <laughs> and we're going to soapbox the hell out of people. But, um, but no, I, maybe when it warms up, the humidor that now all ballparks, not just Denver, are using, maybe you don't notice it as much. Maybe it changes things. Um, but right now you've got a lot of people in the box and on the mound complaining about the quality of the baseball, and I think that we have to listen to it because there's a lot of things that we're seeing that really aren't normal. And there has to be an explanation for that. And if everybody's pointing at the physical ball, again, where there's that much smoke, there's got to be fire. Well, we'll let this, uh, we'll let the smoke build here a little bit and we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. And and as far as, you know, if the complaint department continues, uh, to overload as far as this topic here with the baseball and, and we'll put it on the list of everything else that we're, bitching about today on LTR. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Um, but speaking of uh, letters and complaints, um, I believe you also wanted to talk about um, the New York Yankees. The, uh, the Empire? And about a letter. A letter. 2017. Something has come to light here. Now, I told you, Cam. We talked about this pre-show. The one thing about Yankees cheating club we don't talk about Yankees cheating club here on LDR, but I guess we're going to have to talk about it right now. The first rule of sign stealing is you don't talk about sign stealing. Got it. <laughs> uh, okay, so cliff notes because we don't want this thing to overwhelm it. But uh, for those that don't know, the Houston Astros cheated and won the World Series. For those that don't know, the Boston Red Sox also cheated uh, and it cost uh, Alex Cora a year of being their manager, and they had the book thrown at them. Um, when those two issues were brought to light, 
uh, we were led to believe that they were far from the only two organizations that were involved in some type of shenanigans regarding sign stealing. And this all goes back, and again, this goes back to changing stuff for the sake of changing stuff and adding crap to the availability that doesn't need to be there. Rob Manfred and all of his glory, again, email flagged, not going to get through on this one, wanted to add video replay to the game because the umpires suck at their jobs. <gasps> Hashtag Angel Hernandez. Um, because you've got blatantly missed calls, and with the amount of technology and media that we have at our disposal now, there's no good excuse for missing obvious stuff. And teams complained, and the NFL has in video replay. The NBA has video replay. The NHL has video replay. So Rob Manfred's like, hey, we don't want to be the one of these things that's not like the others. So we're going to have video replay. Well, if you don't want the game to take a half an hour, you can't have a video delay on the feed that the team can watch to see what happened so that they can challenge it. So they give teams the, the live feed, which you have in the press box. You're not waiting three seconds to see what ha- happens and have the guy in the press box tweeting it before you see it on TV, pet peeve. Um, <laughs> but you're, So they've got a live feed. So what do teams do? Hey, we can see the catcher signs before the pitch is thrown in real time. Let's bang in a garbage can or have somebody with an Apple Watch or have a guy with a mirror in center field or have Bernie Brewer waving the flag so Christian Yelich can be the runner-up for the MVP. I digress. Um, <laughs> where, where have the numbers been since Bernie Brewer got off the slide? I don't know. Maybe he's got a bad back. Maybe he was cheating. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, so you've got the ability now to see what's going on. And the Yankees were implicated. The Yankees were accused by the Red Sox in the investigation of the Red Sox. And a letter was infamously, quietly, not publicly, sent to the Yankees, slapping them on the wrist, where the Apple Watch may or may not have been. Um, In a lawsuit that was actually levied by gamblers, that they lost money on games that they shouldn't have lost money on because guys were cheating, that was ultimately thrown out because that's ridiculous. But the judge said, you know what? Everybody should know who was doing what and what Major League Baseball news. So screw the Yankees. We're going to make that letter from Rob Manfred to the front office of the Yankees public. And the Yankees are like, oh, my gosh. It wasn't for those pesky kids. (laughs) So Shaggy and Scooby went and got the letter. And the Yankees cried that their brand was going to be destroyed, which is kind of hilarious in hindsight now. Because the letter basically said, yeah, you know what, they did some stuff, but it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as the Red Sox. It wasn't nearly as bad as the Astros. I don't think it was illegal um, back then. It wasn't illegal. Which, so then leave the Yankees the whole, alone. Yeah. So the, basically what the letter said is that the, the Yankees were watching the monitors in 2015 and 16, and the Yankees were using it to identify pitch sequences and then letting base runners know so the base runners could somehow like lean if it was a curveball or signal stuff. And Yankees pitching coach Larry Rothschild, former Cub, towel drill, Mark Pryor, the whole thing, um, was asking the replay room about pitch identification. That was against the rules at the time. The idea that they were communicating from the dugout to base runners who would then communicate to the batter what was going on. You know, Altuve doesn't have the the zapper on his nipples. It's just, you know, I'm leaning if it's a curveball kind of thing. (laughs) Which, by the way, runners have been staring at catchers' hands forever. I coach a 12U team. We have different signs from the catcher when there's a runner on second base because forever runners on second base have been trying to see what the catcher's putting down and any advantage that you can get. 
but now you're using technology to do it, which is Bush League, which isn't legal, but at the time it wasn't illegal. So MLB's statement said on Tuesday, in response to the letter getting out, they said, and I quote, at that time, use of the replay room to decode signs was not expressly prohibited by Major League Baseball rules as long as the information was not communicated electronically to the dugout. So as long as the TV isn't in the dugout, Astros, or you're not using an Apple Watch to find out what the rules are, Red Sox, then it's, it wasn't illegal. The Yankees got a letter in the mail and a fine for $100,000, which I think Buster only tweeted was less than CC Sabathia made per inning pitching for the Yankees that season. So who gives a rat's ass Stugatz. about 100K? Stugatz. Right? So my question for you, Paul, is this. MLB is saying it was not expressly prohibited, so we're going to let it slide this time. But in the spirit of the game, it's cheating. They got the $100,000 fine. I think we would both say that if you're using it to know what the pitch is and you're somehow getting that to the batter, whether it's directly via zap on the chest with Altuve, allegedly, or a batter leaning one way or the other, somehow you're using this as an advantage. My question for you is this. Because every team had access to the replay room. Were some teams just better at using it than others? Or are we going to dive into an ethical conversation about, you know it's wrong, you still did it, and it's cheating, and we should all be angry and up in arms and gnashing of teeth and all that good stuff. Like, Where do you fall in this? Is it a... The the Astros and the Red Sox and the Yankees just did it better than anyone else? Or should we just be disappointed in the whole damn system that allowed these guys? And MLB admitting that we didn't write rules that expressly prohibited cheating, so it wasn't by definition cheating. Even though it was still cheating, it just wasn't clearly identified as cheating. Where do you fall on this? I can't hear you, Tap. The Yankees are, uh, you know. Six wins in a row here. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's move too, on to another topic. Too much bing bong from the uh, Knicks watching the playoffs and the Nets watching the playoffs? <laughs> no, hey, look, it's, uh, it's, it's like that old R.E.M. song, right? I think it was called Everybody Cheats. Is that what it is? Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the old, the old cliche is if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right? And you hear that more in the NFL than anywhere else because of the – just like pitchers putting stick them on their well, hand and everything else. I'm, I'm not going to be a, you know, uh, look, obviously cheating. We want the game to be played legit. You know, I'm a, I buried the Astros and obviously what the Sox did. You know, the thing is, is it, it, it ain't right. As they would say in the old days, Tab, it ain't right. And I guess, you know, when you get caught, you get caught. How this was somewhat buried and the – you know, the secrecy of it and everything else and the letter. And then, you know, if you want to, you know, us as Yankee fans could say, yeah, quote, unquote, at the time it wasn't prohibited, so no big deal. You know, if, if they would, if, if somebody was to go out there and do some kind of major investigation, and let's just stick with baseball here, and then how many how many teams have cheated? How many players have done stuff? I mean, I'm sure it goes on and on and on, and that would be unfortunate. I would like to think that mo- mostly the game is, is played as fairly as possible. Bottom line is we watch the games inning out, inning in and inning out. You're looking for hits and great performances, and, and guys got to play the game. And I'd say for the most part that happens. When you get into certain situations, I, I guess my, my question about the whole thing, right, 
let's take the Astros, Boston, and here in the Yankees. My question is why at that particular time were those did these teams feel the risk or the necessity? If you look at the the guys on the team, the roster, the guys who's managing the squad and everything like that, and you have to understand, you'd have to think that they all they all know this is going on. So my question is why? Why would a talented team like the Astros at that time risk like everything, their reputation, and even if you win the whole damn thing like they did, I mean, can you ever really enjoy it, you know? Or how many teams have won it in the past that have cheated and we just don't know about it, you know? What well, are they doing? I mean, the, the stories out there now, the, the shot heard around the world, the guy knew what pitch was coming. Well, this is the thing, right? Bobby Thompson knew what was coming and hit one of the most legendary home runs ever. And fair enough. So, so, all right, so on, right. That, on that thing here, Tab, so is it on MLB or the NFL or the NHL or the NBA in the modern-day age with everybody having cell phones and the technology that's out there and everything else, and, and especially preserving, say, history in the past, and even the thing here with the Yankees, to try and um, hide these things, to try and keep them out of the, um, the general public as to not tarnish the game. Now, everybody might be sitting back here and laughing, ha, ha, ha. And obviously, you know, as far as, you know, you take Commissioner Manfred right now, as far as the, you know, the, uh, the tradition of the game and the quality of the game and everything else, and everybody's belly laughing here. Are you kidding me? Because there's, there's things that go on all the time that we sit here in, in the hypocrisy of things and we laugh. Me and you are hockey guys. What happens in the NHL? You know, I always say, too, you know, the, the, the NHLPA, the players, and the, the only time they stand together is when they want more money at the CBA negotiations. And night in, night out on the ice, they're basically trying to put each other in the hospital. But with regards to this, I think, I think the, you know, I use the term rabbit hole. It's, it's just too deep. It's a black hole. How far do you go into it? Now, this story, you know, right? This story with the Yankees is going to go away here. And I don't think it, it merits enough uh, on the level of, say, definitely the Astros, where it's going to be brought out and where the Yankees now are going to go into other cities and be booed and all that stuff. I just don't think it's going to happen because it's not on that kind of a level. So where, where, do, we, where do we go here? Where's, where's Yankees on the level of, oh, that's so bad compared to the Astros, compared to what happened in the past, what we don't know, and everything else? So as, in, as fans, I'm doing it now. I'm just throwing my hands up in the air. So, a couple things, Paul. One, uh, I agree with you that you do have to scratch your head a little bit because I think if you look back at where the world was in 15, 16, 17 when this stuff was going on allegedly, slash reportedly, I think if, if it was the bottom feeder teams, if it was the Pirates, uh, if it was, you know, I'm trying to think back at the standings then, but We'll just stick with the Pirates because they've been bad for so long. If the Pirates were cheating to gain any advantage they could because there was a talent gap between who they were playing against and themselves, I think we'd understand it a little bit more. Exactly. it's a great Or at angle. least have an yep. ounce of grace if it was the worst team in the league trying to get a leg up and not three teams that were juggernauts at the time. Three teams that you look at them, and we've said this repeatedly on this show in the last year plus, Paul. That Astros team was good enough to win the whole damn thing without cheating, so why the hell do it? Yeah, exactly. The Red Sox were good enough to win the whole damn thing without it, so why do it? 
and what where's the confidence gap between the ears of the individuals in that organization that they're good enough to do it to the naked eye of the fans, but they think that they got to do it to get over the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox or whomever. Like what, there, there's there's a disconnect between the swagger they show on the field and the confidence between their ears if they feel obligated or they think that it's necessary to take this step and illegally try and come up with an advantage when you're good enough to do it anyway. So that's one thing. I think you make a great point there. But I do have a, a, a one final question for you on this topic before we uh, we get on to another soapbox. Um, does this does the fact that the Yankees were taking advantage of the system as well, per the letter, not to the extent that the Red Sox and Astros were, but they were, and this letter was sent a number of years ago. Does it make any of the, you know, blaming and finger pointing that we've heard, especially this calendar year from individuals like Brian Cashman involved in the Yankee organization, you know, Cashman earlier this year said when he was asked, you know, well, you haven't won a world series in 87 years. What the hell? He said, you know, we were good enough to win it, but they cheated. So, you know, does this make that his finger pointing feel hypocritical that they cheated? So that's how they got, that's how they got past us when, the Yankees, again, not to the extent, but the Yankees were doing some of it too. Does it feel Brian? Does it make Brian Cashman's finger pointing feel hypocritical to you as a Yankee fan? Yeah, of course. It's it's and, it's, and, and do you care? No, that's the thing. And I go. think and I think I I'm going to bring this back to another hockey analogy. Okay. And I'll try and do this quick, but I think it kind of merits the question you're asking me here, too. Tom Wilson, Ragdolls, Panarin in that game last year. Um, For our baseball audience, Tom Wilson is a, a highly talented, skilled player who chooses to be a goon and just throw hands and cheap shots all over the ice. Yes, so there's a, Plays brawl, for the Washington there's a brawl at the end of the game. Panarin gets hurt. He comes within inches of his helmetless head hitting the ice. There's no blood. Anyway, Tom... He was the, still the, seriously hurt, but it could have been yeah, worse. It could have been worse. So anyway, um, the league... Um, you know, the Ranger fans, you know, they lose it. The Ranger organization... It, it upended the Rangers organization. We won't get into that. But it... So if you're looking on the Ranger side of that, you now they're the victims of this, right? Tom Wilson and the league decided they didn't suspend it. They slapped him with a fine... And then it was a big game on NBC uh, two nights later, and it was a big show, and there was a line brawl, which is you know when the, the, which means in the beginning of the game, they, the, all the players on the ice drop the ice and they go at it. It's what the Mets and Cardinals did. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah, except it was during the game. Um, yeah. So what I'm getting at here is Ranger fans, Rangers organization went crazy, right? Now, on the capital side, they got behind their guy. They supported his guy. Now, all of us in the general public would say, well, hey, that guy on that team just did something really terrible to this guy on the other team, so he should be you know, banned, fined, kicked out of the league, and everything else. None of that happened, right? So yep. as far as – now, what I'm trying to get here with the question about Yankees cheating, Astros cheating, you flip that around. So if the Rangers 
if that was, say, um, Jacob Truba, who's a defenseman for the Rangers, had ragdolled uh, Alex Ovechkin, one of the star players on the Capitals, everything would have been flipped is what I'm saying. So it's a role reversal thing. So you're asking me as a Yankee fan, right? So I'm sitting here going, yeah, to be honest with you, yeah, I don't care because I blindly love my team. Of course, as an you know, just a general base. Of course, it's wrong. It's stupid. But again, you know, this is the major leagues. Uh, these guys get paid millions of dollars. Hey, if they let it go, we could. We, this conversation can go on and on about you know uh, the McGuire years and the Sosa years and bonds about the baseball uh, steroids and everything else. The league continues, right? The teams continue on. The games continue to be played, no matter who cheats. Um, I mean, God, the Pete Rose discussion could go on for hours and hours in terms of the both sides on that. So, yeah, when you ask me like that, as far as I'm concerned right now, because I got to tell you, I'm here in the now. I'm loving my Yankee team right now. What's going on? And I'm crossing my fingers. I hope they're not cheating. I don't think they are. But, you know, your your question there, that's why I bring the analogy up. When you when you ask, like, if you ask Astro fans, hey, how do you feel about going to that parade after winning that World Series, knowing that these guys were just cheating the whole time. I mean, how do you how do you sleep at night? You know what I'm saying. But, so but I think when it's point, thrown, when it's thrown on the individual who is a fan of the team, right? I think most of the, those fans are going to say, "Ah, well, you know, it's out of our control." And hey, we won. So what? What's the big deal? Yeah, I mean, and to your point, this year in free agency, the Yankees had a glaring need at shortstop, and there were a, there was a big chunk of Yankee fans that were openly advocating for them to sign Carlos Correa, who is one of the centerpieces of that, the allegations against Absolutely. the Astros. Absolutely, you are so right on that. So, yes. to your point, base was all if, over that. Yep. If, it, if it's my guy doing it, I'm fine with that. Oh, yeah, and that's... Hurt, that's if, yeah. It, if it negatively impacts my team's ability to get there, I'm pissed. And that's, so that's every, a great sports analogy, as a too. Sports fan. Yeah, and as a sports fan, we all... You're, the guy that you hate on the other team, you'd love to have him on your own team. Yep, absolutely. So lots of lots of interesting stuff with with the Yankees um, here on Line Drive Radio. Each week, uh, we're gonna I'm gonna hit the hard transition here for the kids. Um, we do the good and the bad, and generally speaking, uh, we start with the good and then we transition to the bad. It feels like we've been on a little bit of a bad run here. Uh, with some of the headlines, uh, Yankees cheating, guys complaining about the baseball being bad, guys getting booted for fighting. Um, so, Paul, I think we're going to stick in in kind of the bad category, and we'll we'll circle back with the good. Um, I'm just queuing up the gangster music, baby. I, I I have issues. We're going to call this the Festivus episode because there's <laughs> an airing of grievances happening today, kids. Um, so for those those people that are, are, are sports fans at large, uh, it is the 29th of April, and last night on ABC and ESPN and the NFL Network, we were all subjected to five hours of uh, incredibly expensively dressed young men having their dreams come true uh, via the National Football League's draft extravaganza. It, this year it's in Las Vegas. Uh, I put the over-under at four and a half drafted players getting arrested, um, because oh, why the man, hell would you give right. a guy, why the hell would you hand a kid his dreams and a boatload of money and then do it in Las Vegas <laughs> casino pass? <laughs> that makes sense, or anything else for that matter. Uh, um, Bunny Bunny Ranch. Um, oh, so, you went there. So, so we're watching. Have you gone there? No, I mean I haven't gone there. That's not what I was inferring. I'm saying you went there. You know what I mean. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I said it. There are going to be players that are they're out looking for a good time. Um, but look, you've got the NFL draft is it it pulled better TV ratings than anything else last night in the country. It it's crushed. A show, baby. It is a great show, and people tune in. Mock drafts are everywhere. I'm out there throwing mock drafts left and right. I'm a, I'm a draft nerd. I'm going to admit it. Uh, you know, one of the first big things that I covered in professional sports as a senior in college was the NFL draft at the Indianapolis Colts headquarters. Um, I've always loved the NFL draft since I was playing football in high school. It's always been one of the things that I absolutely love. Um, when you look at the NHL draft, uh, it's usually in a spot where you've got a lot of fans that are able to come inside, but you've got players and their families sitting in the stands in their suit and tie and their name gets called and they take off their suit coat. They go up on stage. They meet the team that just went up and called their name and they put on the Jersey and they put on the hat and they get their picture taken. And you've got kids that'll sit there through seven rounds and hear their name called and they'll still go get a Jersey and say hi and get a picture taken. Yep. 200 players will be called and you're still sitting there with mom and dad. And you might've flown in from Sweden or Finland or Russia and you're sitting there for three days waiting for your name to be called. But you're still there. Great, great entertainment value. The NBA, I think, to a lesser extent. But the hype is always around, like, who's the next generational guy? The top 15 picks in the NBA are must-see TV. And then people start flipping trades, and it goes crazy. And you don't know what's going on. But people tune in. And then you can come back to Major League Baseball. And no one cares. And it used to be a 400-round draft, and now it's like an 85-round draft. And Manfred keeps cutting the number of minor league teams, and he keeps cutting the number of rounds in the draft. And, uh, you know, he, he wants to do an international draft. And then you're going to have two drafts instead of one draft. And no one cares about Major League Baseball's draft. Um, now, with the new CBA... Major League Baseball made a few concessions to try and make it a little bit more interesting so it isn't just, you're the worst team in the league, congratulations, here you go. It's kind of a modified version of the lottery. The NBA's had a lottery for a long time, infamously. You know, if you believe in conspiracy theories or if you just watch the tape, the card that had the bent corner that somehow ended up being the Knicks getting Patrick Ewing when they just put the whole dang card in the tumbler. Um you can believe whatever conspiracy theories you want about the draft lottery working out the right way. But Major League Baseball, for the first time starting in 2023, is going to have a draft lottery where the first six picks in the draft are going to be determined by a lottery. So everybody that doesn't make the playoffs is going to have a shot at it. Now, obviously, the team that just misses the playoffs isn't going to have as good odds as the three teams that were the dumpster fire of the league. Uh, but, you're, you know, if you're the worst team in the league, you'll have a 16.5% chance. Of, the, of getting the number one overall pick instead of having it as an absolute lock. That's okay. Like, I, I'm here for that. I think it, it the, the fan bases that get disenfranchised waiting for a number one pick because, here, look, here's the reason that baseball's draft doesn't draw the eyeballs. One, it's long. Two, um, you don't know as many of the players because you're going high school and college and that stuff isn't on TV like college football, college basketball. Uh, and third... Um, it's just baseball has never seen the entertainment value in the draft, which is insane to me. 
the the other big reason that there's a and this is part of my my biggest complaint about the MLB draft is you can trade international pool money, but you can't trade draft picks. And for me, if you open it up to having every pick in the draft be available for trade, that's where things get interesting. Last night you watched the NFL draft and you've got uh, the Philadelphia Eagles trading, I think, the 18th overall pick to go get a star-wide receiver. And you've got the Arizona Cardinals trading a first-round pick to go get a star-wide receiver. You've got nine trades that are happening and you've got big money getting thrown around. The trading in the NFL draft is like 75% of the drama. Who gets picked where is always interesting, and and who falls and who slides and the emotion on the kids' faces, that's all great. But you're in it to figure out, like, how's my team getting better, and the trades are where the drama comes in. And last night you had 10 picks, and then all of a sudden the wheels fall off and the, the draft is just drunk because you've got ridiculous trades happening. The NHL, you see trades happen all the time. The NBA trades run the draft. No one cares in the NBA about their first-round pick because they want to win now. But so many trades are happening, it's hard to know where a guy's actually going to play. Mm -hmm. Baseball, you know that a guy gets drafted, and if he signs, Kumar Rocker, if he signs, he goes to the minors and you might not see him for five years. Which Which is why people don't care as much. But I think... If you allowed major league teams to trade their draft picks, those become assets that then affect major league rosters. If you're the Pirates and you're trying to build something and you've got a good player like Brian Reynolds on your team, if you can trade him for another first-round pick, or like in the NFL, you've got two firsts, you can trade those to move up, that's where you start getting a little sex appeal to this draft. Um, And... For me as a sports fan, baseball's draft, for me, is the most potentially impactful because of the number of individuals that you're adding to your organization. It isn't just five to ten guys, depending on how many trades you move, but seven rounds in the NFL. You start with seven picks. Some teams will have four. Some teams will have 12. Whatever. You've got... Seven rounds to help your team this year. Hockey, you've got seven rounds to help your team this year. The NBA, you've got two rounds to help your team this year. Baseball, you've got a bunch of rounds to help your team in five or six years. Maybe three years if you play your cards right. But if you can move picks around, I think, one, more fans are going to care about the draft because those picks become something that have more relevant value at the major league level at the trade deadline. And two you might be able to gamble a little bit and swing for the fences and maybe go get a player that's going to help accelerate a team like Pittsburgh getting out of the doldrums. Or you get two picks in the first round that help get you out of the, get you out of the slop. So it just watching the NFL draft, I'm reminded again at how great the experience is, how great the hype is. And as a baseball fan, I'm like, do you even know when the MLB draft is? Because people have had – April 28 to 30 circled on their calendar for six months. I, I don't, I don't know when it is. I, I don't ever remember, um, seeing one. Um, exactly. I've never, I don't remember seeing one advertised promoted. I just assumed that it just wasn't part of the MLB products. 
now, which is fascinating when you think of how, as far as player promotion, MLB is probably one of the best at promoting their players that are in the game, that are playing. Individual teams do an amazing job of uh, promoting their players, making the the, the face uh, of um, just marketing outside stadiums, billboards, commercials, everything else. Um, so it's it's always fascinating. And, and then even if you're listening on the radio or if you're watching the game on TV with the sound on, an integral part of the analysts and the guys calling the game is bringing up the stats of players and primarily where they came from, where they were drafted, where they played. It's amazing, you know, now that we're talking about it and now that's like it's out in front here, to think that it's the the player promotion and the involvement of analysts on you know MLB Network and us here every week we've got stats and then we talk about the history of the player where they came from and it's amazing that none of this is attached to the MLB draft as far as being a marketable event or something that you know we would ever have a, a discussion on this show or, and I don't think I've ever had a discussion in my life with a friend of mine at the bar as opposed to the NHL draft, you know, being hockey guys and stuff like that, we're always talking about that. You always get excited about, like, who's the talent, who's going number one, everything else. Um, I mean, the NFL has just turned it into this. It's just it's just a part of the um, the money-making machine, you know, now that it's outside now, and um, it's just a huge part of it. I mean, people travel in from all over the not – only, not only just the players, but the fan bases – just come in, but yeah, it's it's. I, I don't know why. I guess I'd have to throw it back to you and and really. I guess this gets back to what we were talking about with um. You know, just players and their journeys getting into baseball. You know, with talking about brothers in sports there earlier, um, and you, you know, you said it there too. Some guys might not get into league four or five years. Is that the same thing to say about NHLers might not get in there? So. I guess is it is this a marketing thing? Is it if it's not a money making thing, then they're not doing it. I, I just, I I don't I don't know why. I guess it's never been a major concern for me. It's obvious, right? We're talking about it. It's never been a major concern for me. Why? Hey, how come there's no? When's the MLB draft on? Um, well, and that's so that's the thing. Like, I agree with you that teams do a great job of marketing their individual players in the local market. But I feel like as a league, as, as a whole, Major League Baseball, since Rob Manfred's taken over as commissioner, have focused on everything that's wrong and not pouring investment into marketing players. And if they spent half of the energy that they have on changing the baseball and instituting a pitch clock and worrying about glop on hands into marketing this young generation, we would be so much better off. And that starts with promoting the draft. The first time... I mean, if you watch the 30 for 30s, ESPN has been broadcasting the NFL draft since they started. And some of the first real big-time drama on TV with the live broadcast of the NFL draft was back in 83 when there was the whole John Elway doesn't want to go to Baltimore scenario. But really over the last maybe 30 years, you've had this revelation of players going to the draft, being dressed up, walking out on stage, getting everything done. That was kind of more of a hockey thing than it was an NFL thing. And the first time that Major League Baseball televised a draft, and 
part of it was no one's going to televise a thousand names getting called, but at least put the first round on, right? Have the draft exactly. room, have the guys sitting at the table. So the first time it was and televised. You, and you know, none of us in hockey, we don't really watch anything past the first draft, the first round, I should say. Well, I, I, I'm a nerd, so I do. But you're right. Like, you I care said about the most. first round. I or, said, or I, said, yeah, I said most. You care the about general... the first round or the asterisk on that is, as a Chicago Bears fan, you care about when your team's first pick comes. Yes. Since hashtag Bears don't have a first this year. So, <laughs> but the first time that Major League Baseball's draft was televised was 2009 with the launch of MLB Network. That draft... The number one overall pick was one of the highest touted draft picks in probably 10-plus 10, 10 years. Steven Strasburg out of San Diego State was the number one overall pick by the Washington Nationals. And the hype around him was incredible. Was he there to walk up and shake the commissioner's hand? No. There was one player. They invited players. They invite guys that could be drafted. Look, the NFL, there are going to be guys in the green room all night tonight waiting for their name in the second and the third round. There was one guy who showed up to the 2009 draft and walked up and shook the commissioner's hand, and he waited until the 25th pick to hear his name called. And I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me who the 25th pick was in that draft who walked up and shook the commissioner's hand in the first televised Major League Baseball. no idea. He's from your backyard in Millville, New Jersey. Mike Trout. Wow. Didn't know that. Hey, that worked out pretty well, right? <laughs> <laughs> you want you want good footage, you get the best player of his generation, and he's the only guy in the green room, and he has to sit there for two hours. Unbelievable. Um, but no, I, the baseball draft has always been long and tedious, and that's why like, you don't have a lot of Mike Piazzas getting drafted in the 62nd round becoming a Hall of Famer, but you've got guys that slide. Mookie Betts wasn't even a first-round pick. But the, you hear so much now about teams not being willing to sign free agents because if they spend a certain amount of money, it's going to cost them a first or a second round draft pick. And you've got draft picks tied to co- the competitive balance tax, a.k.a. salary cap. So Mookie Betts is a Los Angeles Dodger because the Boston Red Sox value their first round pick too much to go over the luxury tax by that much. That they're going to give you. So teams care so much about their first round pick that they're not going to make financial decisions to make the team competitive. But we don't care enough about those picks to tell you who, who it was or show it to you or promote the hell out of it. Now, baseball is doing a better job. There's the, there's the developmental, the, the prospect league or the draft league. Uh, that the prep baseball report group is running with major league baseball. Now that after the college season, you'll have, some guys playing in the quasi-independent league to kind of shop their wares a little bit. But it's just you've got guys all over the country. Some of them are still playing the college seasons when the draft happens. So you got guys at the you know playing in the college playoffs for the, a trip to Omaha for the College World Series, you know, getting the call while they're on the field. I think it was Dansby Swanson who was like standing on the field in a Vanderbilt jersey after the game, and they're watching on a phone. <laughs> and his name gets called, and they're all celebrating and dumping Gatorade and water on him because, you know, they're student-athletes they are not going to drink. Um, but it just it feels like you've got four major sports, and the only one that no one gives a rat's ass about the draft is baseball. And I, 
there has to be more there. Now, when and you I feel say like baseball could do better. Now, all right. So, Tab, when you say no one gives a rat's ass about it, is is primarily the only reason the general public don't give a rat's ass about it is primarily because MLB doesn't give a rat's ass about it and doing anything about it or making well, it a, a marketing vehicle. I, at, yeah. At the end of the day, I think the individual teams are going to be focused, like in the NFL, the GMs will make themselves available to talk to somebody with a microphone. But their primary function at this point with is is being hunkered down with their scouts, figuring out who they're going to pick, and working the phones and figuring out how they can maneuver and make themselves better. Maybe they're just worried there's about no, teams cheating at the draft. Well, but there's no <laughs> there's no trading. So what's the drama? <laughs> I don't know. Right? I mean, I guess that's the question we're trying to answer. Here. Like, why 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 doesn't the MLB do this? And I guess it's another thing too. If it ain't broke, there, there's no reason to fix it. If it's not, it doesn't make really much of an impact as far as, you know, the fans aren't. There's not enough fans, obviously. I'm one of them who hasn't really paid any attention to it, and there's not enough people really bitching and moaning about it. So why put the energy into it? Well, I don't I – don't, I, I think to the idea that if it ain't broke, you don't necessarily need to fix it. I don't know that it's – functionally working to the capacity that it should that's to me this is like saying i've got a 10 watt bulb in the closet and i can see my clothes so we're good why would i put a 100 watt bulb in and actually be able to not be colorblind picking mismatched socks and a tie that doesn't go with the shirt you know i think that there's so much more potential for baseball to do something with its draft that as i watch the nfl draft this weekend look it's seven rounds they take up ESPN airtime for two nights. They had it on the mothership at ABC last night. NFL Network and ESPN have both are going to simulcast. They've got their own personnel, and they're going to spend three days and about 20 hours digesting this stuff. And they got experts that are breaking stuff up. There are guys like Jim Callis. you got fan graphs. You've got Baseball America. You've got MLB Pipeline, where there are people that this is their livelihood. Like this is where they, they – this is their sweet spot. This is what they do. They – just spend all of their lives analyzing prospects, just like the Mel Kuypers of the world. And for me, I just feel like it's a marketing tool to start developing the relationship between the individual players and the fans that's being, that's a ball that's being dropped. And furthermore, I think major league baseball would place increased value on the draft if you allowed teams to trade picks in the draft openly whenever and wherever they wanted, because that's where the teams that are look in the NFL, you, if you're trying to build something, you trade guys for picks so that you can get better faster in the NBA. You trade picks to get better faster in the NHL. You trade picks to get better faster in major league baseball. Either you spend money or you keep praying that these teenagers or 20, 21, 22 year olds develop and actually get there at the same time, because your window is going to be when these guys all get there. And we've talked about it. You go back to the 2011 draft and the Pittsburgh pirates had an incredible draft and the guys didn't all get there at the same time. And they developed at different rates. And then they ended up selling them all because they didn't have the money to keep Garrett Cole and Tyler glass now and Josh bell all at the same time. That's crazy. So from and or Austin Meadows for that matter. So for me, I just feel like Major League Baseball could do so much more as a as a league, as an institution, 
to engage its fans and make the draft part of the marketing toolkit throughout the year. And they're kind of trying to do that now by kind of lassoing the draft around the All-Star weekend, and that's when it's going to be this year, so mid-July. But front offices don't want anything to do with it then because the trade deadline's two weeks later, and they're more worried about the trade deadline than they are who they're picking that's not going to affect their roster in four years. Well, there you go. There's another you know angle there, if, too. I mean, obviously, if, if, they don't if, care about it enough. And every other draft is in the off season. Baseball's draft is right smack in the middle of the damn thing. And you know, it's you know, you look at the NFL draft as compared to, you know, the NHL draft and say the NBA. You've got five starters on each and six, you know, six in the NHL, right? And then you're looking at you know position players. Obviously, in the uh, NHL, goaltending would be one of them, say for argument's sake. Um, and then how the NBA and you know, you talk about it too. Like I said, the um, the NHL has a great minor league system. I mean. I mean, the college NCAA is just an incredible, uh, you know, with the March Madness and how that all works out in terms of the draft and everything else. You know, the NFL is also a very unique type of draft, too, because you've got more players. You've got two sides of the ball. Um, You've got larger rosters. So, like, you know, teams have to decide, you know, are they going for the quarterback? Are they going for a tight end? Are they going for, you know, safety, uh, special teams? I mean, it's... um, I'm just saying the whole scope, when you start putting things out out there and you start, you know, this kind of, a, it's a great conversation. Again, we could spend another two podcasts on this alone. You know, baseball is a nine-position game, but then you, you've also got pitchers as a an angle and there's different types of pitchers, you know, starters, middle relief, closers. You know, at that age, most guys, you know, you know this is from Little League too. We don't know when, you know, when you're playing hockey or basketball, you probably pretty much know whether a kid's going to be a goaltender, whether he's going to play defense, or whether he's going to play forward. In baseball, sometimes you don't know. Can he pitch yet? Is he going to be a first baseman? Is he going to be a shortstop? Is he going to be a multi-position player? Um, so base, it's a, it's an interesting thing. But you're talking about you know the, the amount of players that are on the field, how that works out with the draft, how the heck they can put this together, the general interest in the fans. Obviously, Tab, this is all about money, too. Can showing this off the MLB draft, can it make money? I mean, you just talked about when they when they put it on. It's in the middle of the season. It's up against the trade deadline, the all-star break. I mean, it's really kind of buried in the headlines there, you know? But, well, and that, but, but to that end, I think if you can move picks, that's where you start really building some interest around the draft. I get it, but right? I guess and like, if, you, if you're the Cubs, but they're not doing it, right? Garbage. They haven't done it for years, so obviously that's never going to happen. I I don't know that it's never going to happen. I think they should. But, you know, if you're the Chicago Cubs. Do you Cubs, need the email address again? <laughs> oh, I'm going straight to spam. But, but, like, if you're the Chicago Cubs and you're trading you Darvish to the San Diego Padres, would you rather have their first-round pick or the 17-year-old shortstop that you got? That That's ultimately the question, is if you're going to yeah. trade someone. Because that first-round pick – you might take a kid that just graduated from college who might be a year and a half from the majors versus well, it, a 17-year-old so shortstop tr- who might be a 23-year-old third baseman when well, he gets right to the there, Am I wrong to say doesn't that make trading in the in MLB a, a, a much harder thing for scouts or managers or management front it, office it, to kind of figure shouldn't. out? It shouldn't but, because baseball is it different. Is it different than a, uh, more more of the position players in the NFL as far as the, where they are in college? Same thing in hockey and same thing in NBA. 
pretty much those kids, you know where they're playing. You know whether they're a forward, a power forward, a point guard. Where in, in baseball, how do you narrow that down? Well, I, I think when you draft somebody, you know, you know I look at Tim Hudson, who's a great pitcher, uh, most notably for the Oakland A's back in the late 90s, early 2000s. He was on that great staff with Mulder and Zito. He could have probably hit in the major leagues. He was he was a bona fide bat at Auburn. Now he's the coach at Auburn, uh, but they decided to make him a pitcher. Um, I think when you draft somebody, you you make that decision. Uh, you see guys that will play multiple positions. Hunter Green, uh, he of the hundred mile an hour every other pitch club down in Cincinnati, great hitter. Could have gone two ways. Uh, Brennan McKay in Tampa could have gone either way. He's got minor league cards of him swinging a bat. They toyed with it. Now he's primarily a pitcher. I think with the rule now with Shohei Otani that if you are a DH and you start pitching that day, you can stay in the game. I think that that's going to start opening teams' eyes to the idea of maybe DHing a guy if he can really rake. So the game is evolving. My, my point is, I think, to, to put a bow on, on, the, on the soapbox elements here, I feel like Major League Baseball is leaving a lot to be desired. I think you say, can they make it a revenue driver? Absolutely. If people are watching the seventh round of the NFL draft, waiting for Mr. Irrelevant, then people would watch the first three rounds of the MLB draft. They'd watch the first six rounds of the MLB draft because people watch all the way to the end of this stuff. And there are going to be people that fall in love with it, and there are people that obsess with it today. They're it's surprising blogged. that it's it's not moved up into the hot stove period there, you know. But you know, right before pitches and catchers and everything else, it could be moved up to the beginning of the year. Um, you know, hockey and basketball at that time is really not. You know, it's just the the, the gist of the season right yeah. there. Um, and there's a lot of minutia that I could get into with ways that I would change the draft. You know, in hockey, you can draft a kid and keep you his rights. A, you have a manifest to write, my friend. You have something I, I, I do. I have, I, I have. I'm going to move into a bunker somewhere in North Dakota. And you have a Jerry Maguire. Write, write, write uh, letters, <laughs> but uh, letters without right. explosive devices. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to be the unit drafter. Um, <laughs> but no, there, there's a lot of things that I would change. But I just feel like at the end of the day, I watched the first round of the NFL draft last night, and I wake up this morning. And baseball is on my brain. And I'm like, no one cares about Major League Baseball's draft. But the teams place so much importance on it that they won't spend money and they won't sign free agents. But then they can't trade the picks. And they don't do anything to make you care about seeing who these first-round picks that they value so much that they trade Mookie bets. No one watches that pick that was more valuable to you than paying a luxury tax that your owner, your billionaire owner can obviously afford. They don't care enough to tell you and promote who you're picking with the pick that was too valuable for you to pay Mookie bets. For me, I feel like there's a disconnect in the marketing department and there's so much more that baseball could do with the draft. And I think that you could make it a money driver. I don't think it because so many players in the minor league path, I don't think it'll ever be to the extent that the NFL draft is. Because the NFL, you're drafting players that you're going to go buy a jersey today and you're going to see them in August. It'll never be that. I'll be fully transparent. It'll never be that. But I think that there's just there's a disconnect between how teams are valuing their draft picks and how Major League Baseball, A, isn't promoting them, and B, isn't letting teams weaponize their draft picks to trade them to make their teams better. 
And I think that if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates and you've got valuable pieces, if you can go get four first-round picks in the same year, theoretically you're going to use those. And, again, we can't make teams draft well, Bears fan. But <laughs> if, you give, if you've got more opportunities at the Apple and all those guys get there, smaller market teams, if they've got a bigger bank of guys getting there at the same time, theoretically the likelihood that their window is going to open a little bit more or even have a window in the room is going to be higher if you've got the ability to go get more picks. Um, and most front offices, I think, you can scout guys, you can see how they're playing at the professional level, but most GMs in every sport would rather be able to identify a guy, draft him, sign him, and develop him the way that you want him to be played. We hear about the Yankee way, the Cardinal way, these Oregon, Tampa Bay, the way that they draft and develop guys. I think a lot of organizations that have that strong philosophy would rather develop their own guys and go get it from somewhere else. Uh, if you can trade picks and find those guys and identify them and get them in bulk, I think that a lot of teams would be like, you know what, we're going to go get a couple first-rounders this year, and we're going to draft guys, and we're going to develop them, and in three years they're going to be here, and we're going to spend when those guys get here, and we're going to really go for it. Instead of having th maybe three guys from a draft that might, if you play your cards right, get there, maybe you got six guys to choose from from a draft. And then you're really getting an influx of talent. I just, I feel like Major League Baseball can and should do more. And watching the NFL, it left me as a baseball fan wanting more from my draft experience. I feel you, Mr. Bamford. I get it. But it's just not sexy enough for MLB right now. And they got bigger fish to fry, man. They got uh, cheating scandals to bury. They got to try and get fans in the seat. They're trying to speed up the game. And um, it's just not sexy enough for them right now. Yeah, And it, yeah. Can't, it can't compete with. You know, when the CBA was resolved and when when players just started signing all the big money contracts, I mean, that was that like that was the thing, right? And that's that's where the energy was, that's where the media coverage was, that was where um just the headlines were and everything else. And unfortunately, just because of the the kind of sport that it is, the way the guys are drafted, where they come from, and I you know, I don't know if I'm making a valid point in terms of the position playing, the amount of players and and, and the development which you brought up in terms of how long it could take guys getting into the league, I think all that plays into the, to the factor. But for me, it all comes down to money. The NFL has turned the draft into a moneymaker, sponsorship deals. It's huge. Um, the NHL actually does a really nice thing now, too, I mean, as far as their marketing stuff. But I, I would tell you, like I said, I think it's just interest and everything else. But I'm with you. I mean, again, loving the game, loving the players. And, you know, like I said, I scratch my head, too. I mean, it's such a part of the commentary. It's such a part of the individual teams in terms of their marketing of the players. It's, um, you know, and I think it's a great thing that you brought up today because it is, you scratch your head and you go, why isn't it? But I guess my thing is the answer is it's just not sexy enough. Yeah, well, speaking of sexy, let's get off the soapbox and well, talk about Well, hold on, I got, I got one good. more thing on the soapbox okay. before we get into the good, okay? And that's yeah. this direct TV commercial with A-Rod, Big Poppy. Oh uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson. Doing this Ghostbuster thing, they look ridiculous. These guys are legends. And they look like idiots. And you talk about marketing and stuff. I mean, did those guys really need that money to do that commercial? Apparently they tab, did. What is going on there? Someone in the Shark Tank should have told A-Rod that they're out. <laughs> That's my baby. Uh, I mean, I, you know... It's hard. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, look, let's, let's be real, though. Like, A-Rod, you know, infamously has the painting of him as a, uni as a 
centaur or whatever in his house. So I don't think image has ever been a problem. No, for not at all. Um, the fact that the fact that they're doing it with guys who are retired is kind of funny to me. Yeah, I mean, this ties into the whole marketing thing, right? Exactly. Like, look, uh, A-Rod's the only one of those guys that isn't has not been voted into the Hall of Fame. Obviously, Poppy will be inducted this summer. Um, so the fact that you've – and, like, and who picked the guys? Like, who, who said, hey, we're going to do a Ghostbusters bit. Um, <laughs> let's get the big unit and Ken Griffey Jr. and – David Ortiz and A Rod, like who the like, what kind of urinating on the New York on the Wall Street Journal picking your stocks method was used to pick the guys? <laughs> Meetings like, look, we would like, love like, to be a part of. Yes, <laughs> I mean, look, a couple years ago they did the commercial like let the kids play where they had the press conference and they had Acuna and Trout and Beth, and they had these young guys on the stage together talking about playing the game. If you went with four active guys in that commercial, if you got together with like Vladdy Jr. and Soto and Trout and Max Scherzer because he kind of looks like a crazy scientist with the two different colored eyes thing like (laughs) and frankly he'd probably scare a ghost back to death uh, if he stared at it right Um, but if you got like four active players that have big personalities like okay I kind of get it but the fact that like Jr. and the unit have been retired for what, 15, 10, 15 years? And you've got them in a commercial? And, and look, Ken Griffey Jr. still looks good, but the boy hasn't missed a buffet, and he's clearly retired. Um, <laughs> like, Well, they're all – I mean, that's the thing. You, you do ha- you have to do a second take or a third take there and go, wait, yo, I think those guys – I think I know those guys. Who are those guys? Yeah, you know, like, oh, my God, that's Randy Johnson. Who did he pick Ken for? Ken Griffey oh, Jr.? Really? And, and like – and they're using the proton packs. Like, you don't have Jim Tomey swatting a ghost 485 feet, <laughs> you know, or, or oh, Randy man. Johnson disintegrating one like a bird in Arizona. Um, yeah, they had the like, wrong people at this meeting, man. They got to call us. We got to get involved. The ca- in their casting agent should be fired. Another email. Um, Another email we have to send. Yeah. It's, or as my dad would say, a strongly worded letter. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, that commercial's the, it's a debacle. I don't know who cast those four old guys in it, and I get it. Like you're, and like Ghostbusters came out a year ago. Like, bro, what are we doing? Yeah. Like the new one, they and now they did announce that a second one's going to come out with this most recent cast, and I thought that that movie was phenomenal, but it it did it, it, it doesn't make any sense. I would have preferred but, Paul Rudd doing that commercial. <laughs> yeah, put him in it. Have him crawling <laughs> doing out of his the dance, dark. you know. Yeah, have, him, have, have him wearing like the the Mr. Met costume and like crawling out of it oh, when they get man. rid of like who's the gatekeeper like get Moranis <laughs> and Paul Rudd and Rick Moranis now we're really solving oh, the world. see send this oh. stuff to the league all right oh. off the soapbox we we'll talk pa- a little I good think, I think Moranis is busy playing hockey in the beer factory's basement oh man all right buddy. <laughs> Let's go out. Let's head out to Minnesota. We're gonna find some good news out in Minnesota, babe. I can't wait oh. to hear this from Mr. Bamford. What do you got? No, about? hey, look. You know, I I've trashed Minnesota pretty openly because I didn't get what they were doing. And you know, with with the draft talk, you know, they went out and their big acquisition was a number one overall draft pick, Carlos Correa, who changed the fortunes of the Astros. 
for a number of reasons. He got the bag in Minnesota, and I was like, what the hell are they doing? Trade your catcher to Texas to get a shortstop. It makes great sense. Love the guy. We'll get to him later. And then you trade that shortstop to the Yankees with Josh Donaldson for Gary Sanchez, who's still hitting my high school body Great weight. Move, by the way, thank you very much. Um, yeah, love so, from the Bronx. And you look at this. You look at the roster, and in the preseason, I said, "What the hell are they doing? It, this doesn't make sense." And then you look at what they're doing on the field right now, and you look at their statistics, and there isn't a lot that really jumps up and says, hey, guys, we're a juggernaut. I mean, Carlos Correa's got a two seventy eight on base, not batting average. Miguel Sano's hitting oh ninety six, which I think was Wade Boggs' blood alcohol level when he'd get off a plane with the Red Sox <laughs> oh, 50 man. years ago. Jorge Polanco's hitting one eighty eight. Alex Karloff has missed 12 games and counting. A lot of their key pieces aren't pulling their weight. Byron Buxton's missed seven games but he might be the most valuable player in the American League based on how he's played. And here we are with Minnesota having won seven straight in first place in the American League Central, rolling, and they are coming Shame off Shame on us! Shame on us! Back-to-back three-game sweeps of the two teams that you and I were pumping the tires of at the beginning of the season. Three-game sweep of the Tigers and three-game sweep of the White Sox who have won one of their last ten. Uh, the fight in Tony LaRusses are hurting right now, literally and figuratively. Big part of uh, our mediocrity discussion last week. Yep. The Is it parody or parody? Mm. Um, but here we are with Minnesota, and, and the guy that I want to shout out, who happens to be on both of my fantasy teams this year, uh, good drafting by El Gordo. That's a whole other draft conversation. Joe Ryan. This dude uh, pitched in the Olympics for the U.S., comes to Minnesota, looks okay, pretty intriguingly good last year. Minnesota got him in the deadline deal that sent Nelson Cruz to Tampa last year. And he walks out there and he starts on opening day as a rookie for the Twins. He's 3-1 and one with a 1-1-7 ERA. He's got 25 strikeouts and 23 innings pitched. Um, and he will Minnesota- be traded by the Twins in July. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I'm just- I might as well just Paul, say it now, as right? A, as a general manager, I have a very strong belief that you don't trade for guys with two first names. Um, oh, but here, point. you know, Joe Ryan is carrying the weight. You know, you wondered how it – like I openly said, like you trade Jose Barrios to Toronto last year and you bring in Sonny Gray. Who's going to be your ace? Who's going to lead your pitching staff? Little did we know, Joe Ryan's out here – Slaying the dragon on a daily basis. So keep an eye on that. Um, so um, Paul and I are going to both uh, grab the brims and tip our caps here uh, to the good folks up in Minnesota, who uh, in the state of hockey, with the Wild rolling into the playoffs, uh, have the eyes of the state on the baseball diamond as well. Uh, as Minnesota is rolling, they are in first place. Uh, and they are in a position right now. Look, we we say it all the time. You can't can't win the World Series in April, but you can get yourself knocked out of the playoffs, Reds. So they are playing. Last year, we ragged them all year. They got out of the gate slower than hell. They never got back on the bike, and that's why they ended up selling at the deadline. They're getting out of the gate the complete opposite this year. And at 11-8, and eight, that's not overwhelming. It's three games over five hundred, but it's good enough for first place in a division that's hurt and scuffling behind him, and they're building up what they need to do to take advantage of what the other teams are doing 
So full marks, full props, tip of the cap to the Minnesota Twins for getting it done early. Nice stuff, man. No doubt about it. And maybe maybe just a side tip of the cap to the Miami Marlins over there who might cause a little trouble there in that Eastern Division. Winners of their last five. Who do they think they are? Second place. Philly's just trying to get respectable at 500 again, and then you got the Marlins stealing, stealing headlines here. Philly had to win their last four to get back to 500, and here's Atlanta two games under. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got some divisions that are not helping themselves. You've got some divisions that are tire fires, and then you've got some that are intriguing, and I think... Look who's in first uh, place in the, in the National League West. Look at that. Your San Francisco Giants. Look at that, baby. With the same plus 44 run differential as the Dodgers and a top that's the best in the National League, even better than your uh, New York Mets, the fighting show Walters. Literally this week, fighting show Walters. The Dodgers uh, yeah. will not have an easy ride to the promised land this year. It's, hey, look, it's already you know, in effect. Giants are 13 and 6. Dodgers are 12 and 6. Padres are 13 and 7 without Tatis. Rockies 10 and 9. They're sliding a little bit. They've lost four in a row after the hot start. Maybe a little bit of a wake up call. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Chris Bryant. But we did we yeah. did say last week, watch the Rockies over this next week, and boom, there it is. Yep. The uh they've soiled the sheets. Uh absolutely no Amber Heard reference there. So <laughs> it's uh it's it's been a rough week for for the Rockies. But good marks, full tip of the cap to the Minnesota Twins. Seven game win streak, one better than your Yankees for the best winning streak in Major League Baseball. Eight and two in their last ten. Uh, Angels and Marin down. is also playing well. Seven absolutely, three, Julio Rodriguez. Time. Julio Rodriguez is getting absolutely destroyed by terrible uh, strike and ball calling, but he's starting to find a groove. I t- picked him as my breakout rookie of the year guy, and I think he's starting to find it. So. Seattle's got a plus-20 run differential that's tied for second in the American League with the Angels. The Astros are actually upside down right now. They're they're at a negative six. So it's baseball, man. We love the races, and they're looking looking good. They're looking fun. Unless you're the Red Sox at 8-12, everything is happy-go-lucky with the teams that should be there. So... But the team that caught my eye this week, the good on this week's edition of Line Drive Radio, we're going to Minnesota. That's good stuff. And I am looking forward to one last good thing for me this weekend. And I am looking forward to the Nike City unis that the Kansas City Royals will be wearing against my New York Yankees this weekend. Ooh, yes. They look good. They look real good. Yes. Those City Connect jerseys are pretty good. Digging it. All right. Uh, before we uh, wrap things up here and we get into the ninth inning, we got to do Tab's Fantasy Ed of the Week. So get out your pens and papers, your pads. And let's get this going. Tab's going to help you make a little money. So pay attention. Tab, take it away. So a little backhanded compliment to the Twins here, as I alluded to. Uh, one of the deals that they made that had a, everybody scratching their heads was sending Josh Donaldson and Isaiah kiner Falifa to the Yankees. Thank you very much like, again. What the hell are we doing here? Well, here we are. Uh, this week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy Ad of the Week is IKF, Woo-hoo! your shortstop for the pinstripes. Comes into uh, Friday night uh, riding an eight-game hit streak. He got the night off on Thursday. He's got five runs batted in and two stolen bases during the eight-game hitting streak. He is only owned in 22% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. So two and nine have him rostered. Uh, I'm one of those two and nine in one of my leagues. 
thanks to Edelberto Mondesi being injured uh, and me preferring to play Bobby Witt Jr. at third base and Javier Baez at second. Isaiah kiner Cliff is holding it down at short. Of course, El Mago's on the roster. But look, shortstop's kind of an up-and-down position right now. Some guys aren't performing very well. Some guys are playing pretty well. IKF is a guy that flew under the radar when he was in Texas. Now he's in front of the bright lights in New York. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but the last eight games, again, he's got a hit in all eight. Five runs better than two stolen bases. If you're in a rotisserie league where those things matter more than others, maybe you look at him for adding some stolen bases. But Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, shortstop New York Yankees this week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy Ad of the Week. Forget about it. It's a lock. Put him in your roster. Good Hopefully stuff. he's not signaling to Giancarlo Stanton if it's a fastball. Ah, oh, now easy now. Easy now. Look, that's, that's a non-New Yorker on the show. I got to get my cheap shot in before we hit the closeout music. <laughs> that line gotta get is down a little bit. And the pitching staff is doing okay there in the Bronx. Let's see how things keep going. All right, pal. Before we uh, shut down the concession stands, lock the gates, throw the sprinklers on. And head on out the gates. It's time to say goodbye. Oh, great show in the books here at LDR. I'd like to thank everybody, as always, for uh, supporting us and listening and downloading, subscribing. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. And, Tab, as always, please say goodbye to the folks. Wherever you are, if you got to put on a parka, if you got to put on a pair of shorts, grab a glove, maybe some mittens, grab a cap, go out, play catch with your son and daughter, Watch the games with your son and daughter. Enjoy the game. Ignore the NFL draft. Watch some baseball. Have fun with the kids. Right on. Good stuff as always. All right, folks. Have a great weekend. We'll be back next week. Play ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.